Listener Production. Shares, Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is the Motley Fool Money Mailbag. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our very special Sunday Mailbag edition, ever more special, because Andrew Page is with me for, well, the same as every other week, but it's always special. So having Andrew here is special. I, of course, am Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool. He is Andrew Page from strawman.com, the, um, the, uh, the, the private online investment club. That's exactly what I was about to say. I was on you the tip of my it. tongue. Just on the tip of my tongue. Uh, I am. I am. I got. I got to. Uh, how are you, mate? Firstly, uh, yeah, good. Good. Mum always said I was special, so I'm. I'm, I'm glad that you can reinforce <laughs> that every week for me. Oh no, on a well, listeners, can I let you in on a, on, a, on a very, very quick behind the scenes? Just pulling back the curtain a little bit. Speaking of special, Andrew and I just spent. Uh, I don't know how long it was. It felt like hours. It was probably five minutes. And then you're talking about Bitcoin again, which I saved you from, and you're welcome. I took a bullet for our dear listeners. You asked the question, you are, and you know, I did, I did. you know, I'm I'm there for it, right? So, and you're not going to get you a are. short answer. And it was fascinating. That's right, Andrew. Andrew finished by saying, and that's the short version. I'm like, man, that's the short version. <laughs> yep. But, uh, no, it was it was it was interesting, mate. I, I will give you that. I will give you that, uh, mate. Uh, good to have you back. Thank you for rejoining me as always, as you always do. Uh, of course, I am Scott Phillips from the Motley Fool, and we are going to answer your questions. Let's start with one from Igor who says, Hi, Legends. First of all, thank you for the amusing and oh, sorry, for, for amusing and educating me a couple of times a week. I hope you don't underestimate how much you are helping an average person with the information you provide. So thank you. Oh, thanks, Eagle. I have one, oh no, I have one complaint, he says, and one question. Let me get the complaint out of the way first. There are not enough rants on the show. I think you should change the format to two plus hours and let it rip. Governments, landlords, badly run companies, dodgy accounting, crypto is not Bitcoin, financial <laughs> advisor industry, and on and on and on. Please no don't deprive <laughs> Please don't deprive yourself and your audience of a good rant, he says. And then in brackets he says, rant over. I like that. Now for my question. It's about charts. I was pausing because he then says, I can hear the groans from Andrew through the pod machine already. I was just waiting to see if you are going to get a grant up front, a groan up front. Listening to your pod has educated me that I should be a long-term investor looking to invest in good businesses that meet a certain set of criteria. I should really understand the business. I should buy it at a reasonable price and I should sit on the shares unless the fundamentals change. I also a, learned- Excellent summary, by the way. Isn't it? I also learned that short term, the market could be irrational and is driven by emotions. So- if that's the case, wouldn't it make sense to look at the charts to give me an indication of the best time to buy? Aren't charts just a reflection of the current trend of the share price? And the short term can give me a potential indication of the sentiment of the market. Wouldn't it just be another tool to help with buying at a good price? I've done, if I've done the analysis and I have a price range I'm happy to buy at, why wouldn't I check to see the trend using a chart? If the trend is up, I can buy immediately as I was ready to do so at the current price. If, however, the supply is outstripping demand and the trend is down, why not wait and monitor until I see a reversal and then buy at a better price? This might be even more important for a slow growth, large company when the price I pay really matters. One of the stocks I bought dropped almost 50% soon after, says Igor. Now the stock has to double in price just to get back to what I bought it at. If I looked at the chart and waited, I could have saved myself some pain and it really amplified any future gains. Just to be clear, I'm not talking about trading using the charts, just to get a better handle on the entry price. What am I missing? Thank you, Igor. P.S. Please don't mention my name. 
PPS, only joking. Thank you, Igor. That's a, a very entertaining and a very, very good question. He makes a good point, mate. Can you not be a fundamental investor and still use the charts to get a good price? Yeah, I know a few investors that, that try and do it that way. Um, so, uh, <laughs> the disdain is clear in your voice, Andrew Page. Tell us why. Well, I, I, look, I, I'm old enough and wise enough to not really be on silly enough to be on any crusade to tell people what's worth and what's not worth doing. There's, there's, I guess there's always, um, again, framing the question or some of the phrasing, the way that that question was, was laid out is interesting. It's like the trend is up. The trend is down. I I would change it subtly to factually the the trend has been down. The thing is, it's not a cannonball. So you can't, you can't apply Newtonian mechanics to it in, in a momentum sense. That trend can flip around in an instant. Hmm. And it does all the time. You see stocks happily going up and up and up and up and then and up. What's the old saying? Up the stairs and down the elevator charts. It's just yes, not yes. apparent. Any, any, any of those significant moves, usually they're not apparent until after the fact. Hmm. And then by that stage, it's kind of too late. The other thing is, is when you're waiting for these things to sort of happen, you can just, you know, I'm trying to get like three or four or five cents better on a trade. You know, you can watch it go up another dollar, which happens all the time as well. So for every example you can point to to say, oh, if I had followed the trend here, I would have got a better price. I'll easily find another example where it says, well, if you if you had done that, you would have missed out on incredible gains. So it's you've got to be careful not to fit the data to your particular curve <laughs> that mm-hmm. you're looking to sort of reinforce. The other thing I always like to say is it's, it's just it's, it's it's so inconsequential if you are a true investor. If I've got a company that I really believe in, I think it's you – know, my valuation is always going to be a best guess, a very rough best guess uh, at best. And I think it's worth about a dollar and the market's at about a dollar three. You know, one, I'm not that accurate, so it's, it's basically fair. And if I'm right and in, say, five years' time, this is $2 a share because I think it's a really great company – do I really care if I got it at 95 cents or $1.10? I mean, yes, the numbers, obviously, the lower the better. There's no mathematically. But given that I can't really know how low it's going to go and I, I have no idea what's going to happen after the fact, uh, it doesn't really matter. I think you're missing, you're missing the forest for the trees. And the final point I'll make is, and this is always, this is just a good test for reality when you're trying to sort of judge the accuracy of your own mental models, is that think it through. If this was a technique that was viable and statistically uh, workable. People would do it. Like, like they would. Like it's not some one, us in retail land thinking. Some would say they oh, do. We, we could do. Yeah, you know. But but where's where's this instant source of free money and advantage mm. that gets arbitrated out of the market? The very act of prosecuting that strategy undermines that strategy. We've talked about it before in terms of the so-called Santa rally, i.e. stocks always rise in December. All right, well, I'm going to buy in the 1st of December. You know, it's like, well, I'm now anticipating that everyone's now going to buy the first in the 1st of December. Now there's the 1st of December rally. Yeah, so I'm, right. I'm going to now buy a day before so I get to take yeah. advantage of it. Yeah. It, yeah. it. It breaks down after, after a point. Yeah. So it's just sort of, you can if you want, right? You absolutely can do it if you want to do it. But I, I would just say, A, it's not that accurate. Just again, mm. statement of fact on, on, on average. B, it's a lot of extra work. Work. See, there's actually a lot of opportunity cost. Just as much as it might help you at some times, it'll it'll not help you at other times. And and finally, if you really think about it, um, you know, if 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 it could, if it, there was this consistent source of edge, it would be exploited, and the very act of exploiting it would mm-hmm. render it useless. Yeah, I think that's that's a really good summary, mate. Um, I, I think it's yes. I, I'm going to only reiterate your one of your points, which is just the idea that the trend seems obvious in hindsight and. 
it's obviously what we should have done had we known what was going to come next, but you don't. So uh, the, the, just on the trend thing very quickly, the, the thing is, when when is a trend finished? Is it when it moves away by half, by one cent, by half a percent, by two percent, by five percent, by 10 percent, and then when does it come back? And, and what, you know, so people say, well, if it drops more than five percent, the trend's broken. Okay, well, maybe maybe it keeps dropping after that. Then maybe it drops, you know, or maybe it goes straight back up. There's no there's no sense that um, that that the past needs to. You know, I like your cannonball. I've never heard that cannonball line before. Mm-hmm. Um, it, there's no sense that it needs to be or continue to be the same. And even if it, even if it was to continue that way, uh, you know, how long do you wait? You know, uh, also if it goes down ten percent or fifteen percent or twenty percent, those numbers are are largely kind of not very useful. Um, here's the thing I would say, Igor is is by all means, if if you want to try it, try it on paper, and, and actually be be accountable to yourself, and you know, grab 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 half a dozen shares, or whatever you're looking at, and go right. T- tell me when the trend ends. Tell me when it, when it starts again. Uh, tell me when it ends again. Tell me when it starts again. Uh, it's very 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 difficult to do. And by the way, do it day by day, not after the fact. That's no, easy. After after the fact, it's all, gra- that, that's right, the point right. though. After, the bottom is obvious after the fact. Like, correct, and by that correct. time, it's well, it's by definition, it's past. Yes. Yes. So when when does the trend change? Well, you can't know because sometimes it looks like it break it changes but it doesn't. Sometimes it doesn't look like it changes and it does, and sometimes it just continues on. Th- those are those are almost impossible to do at the time. It, it's an it's an implicit speculation. You you can frame it from mm-hmm. the viewpoint. Oh, I'm 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 a long term investor. I'm going to hold it for the long term, mm-hmm. but I just want a better price. But but it, that but is an inherent in, uh, explicit speculation on on the price that I can get a better price by looking at this pattern. And and again as I say look if you find that it, it that it helps you in certain situations and not that it helps you but it makes a material kind of difference then by all means kind of do it. I just think we're all so time poor. There's already so much yes. work to do when yep. it comes to investing. You know, it's like I'm lazy. I just I want to focus my <laughs> attentions on the things that have the biggest payoff. And I think even if you are someone who is a, and I'll, I'll, I'll I mean, I'm sure there are people out there that can consistently get a 5% better or 10% better purchase price on average over the long term. Good on them. Mm. And they'll get better returns for it. But again, is that the difference between you having a really good long-term investment mm. return and not? One's better than the other, but is it is it worth the payoff? And I, I just kind of think no. And that, that assumes that you're going to consistently be good at it. Good example, mate. One from Hugo. Have you got your pizza cutter ready? Okay. I can, right, here we go. I can get where this is going. Hi there, says Hugo. Hope I've got the right email. You have. He says, hi, Scott and Ram. I love the show. Rants and particularly hubris brought to the conversation. Is he saying we've got hubris? Yeah. I think that's a, is that a backhanded compliment? I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, maybe, do you there reckon it means humility or do you reckon he actually means hubris? I'm not sure. Anyway, he says, I have a question on the effect of an ETF's price on the compounding effect of a dividend reinvestment plan over the long term. Let's play a hypothetical. Say there's three S&P 500 ETFs. They're exactly the same in every way outside of the unit price. ETF A has a unit price of $10. ETF B, $1,000. ETF C, $10,000. If the goal is to maximize the long-term compounding effect using a dividend reinvestment plan, am I missing something by saying the ETF with the cheapest unit price will outpace the more expensive one because of the incremental unit gains achieved at each distribution? Appreciate the work you both put into this show. Cheers, Hugo. Absolutely now, no difference. That's easy. Ah, see, that's what I thought you were going to say. That's what I originally thought too, but I think he's oh. seeing something slightly different here. Oh. I have a suspicion that he's thinking about the rounding of the dividends. I go Because he talks about the incremental unit gains achieved at each distribution. In other words, you get more units because you can't split up a $10,000 unit if you're not getting a $10,000 dividend. 
I think is the I think is the point he's probably making. It's like the old, you know, when you when you got a um, trying to buy Berkshire at four hundred thousand dollars a share, it's harder to do. So if you got a, if you got a you know uh, a dividend of five cents, you couldn't buy another Berkshire share. You could buy something else. I think is what he's implying. Just that the sheer dollar value you would need to. Yeah, but you get the to, cash though, right? And that the- I think is the answer. Okay. That's I think that's I think what he's getting at. So let's go with your no difference at all first, and then we'll go into the details of the cash difference. Yeah. Well, I mean, whatever the. <laughs> Whatever the unit price is, it, it's more. You've got to think it more in terms of percentages, right? So, we, we, let, let's say that these fund, ETFs were all seeded with the same amount of of, of mm. capital, but broken mm. up into different size pieces. To get to your pizza cutter kind of analogy <laughs> here, yeah, you know, it's you're you're accounting for it on a unit basis. Uh, that's a little bit different, but again, they've all bought the same. They've all got the same dollar value exposure under that. It's just yep. whether you want to sort of group it in in lots of a hundred or a thousand or whatever it wants to be. The mass will always work out to be the same. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it, it's a proportional thing. If you get a two percent dividend yield, it's two yeah. percent of ten dollars or two percent of a thousand dollars, two percent of ten thousand yeah, dollars. It's the same, same thing, thing regardless. If, it, it, in the terms, if, you go, if your question was about the the cash value. Of you know, if you got twenty dollars worth of distributions, you could buy two ten dollar units, but you couldn't buy a ten thousand dollar unit. That I guess that that is absolutely true in terms of reinvesting it, because you couldn't buy it and you couldn't reinvest. You get the cash, but you couldn't use the cash for anything because you couldn't buy more of those units. So at at some at some extreme level, that's absolutely true. Um, practically, once you've got any, any sort of decent portfolio, as long as your um, once your dividend was greater than a single unit then you you don't have that problem. But you're right. I mean, at some extreme level, if you had a $10,000 a price and they paid a $5 dividend, you couldn't you couldn't reinvest that whereas if you got, you know, two $10 units, you got a $10 dividend, you could buy another yeah. another unit. So it, it make it makes it makes some I, I hear where you're coming from. Very 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 unlikely to have a meaningful difference at all. Um, some if you're doing it within an ETF, um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I it, again, a bit, a little bit like Ram's point about the last question. Uh, only at the extreme examples is it problematic, and I don't think it's likely to be meaningful. In fact, I'm very sure it's not meaningful, be meaningful over a lifetime of investing. Whatever difference there could be, it's just such a rounding error. But a very, very good question. Here's a great question from John Ohm on a very different topic. I love this. Hi guys, love the show. As I'm a rookie to the world of investing, I've been learning tons in the six months I've been looking into it. Prior to this, my investing in the future came down to stocking the cellar with the right wines and picking the best footy team to support. He said, Richmond for the record. And geez, was that an example of holding a waiting for success? Do you know you are dead wrong? Of course, the only AFL team to follow was the Sydney Swans and of course the Chooks in the NRL. My question is a simple one, but also a complex one. What are the habits I should develop as an investor? For example, should I sit down with a cuppa and the trustee spreadsheet on the first Monday of every month? My focus is the long term. So should it only be when dividends are released? Do I read the full annual reports, which are the best cure for insomnia ever? Or just peruse a few pertinent sections? Is there any point in comparing dividend earnings between the likes of Woodside, BHP or Macquarie, as they're all operating in vastly different economic spheres? My two additional questions. My background has been in geology, which is pure numbers. So how do you quantify the influence of sentiment, as this seems to be more significant at times than economic data? Is there any point? Uh, is there any point? Is this can swing so wildly? Is it wiser to simply not invest in esoteric stocks, e.g., buy now, pay later companies? He says, and then you gentlemen talk of the need to gain an understanding of the management team of a company, but how does one do that? Cheers, guys. Keep up the banter, Jono. 
three spectacularly good questions around, which we'll try and answer in, uh, in some some reasonable time frame so we don't go too long and miss others. But let's start with the, the beginning. I love this question. Habits mm. of an investor. And let's yeah. say, you, you and I do this for a quid, right? So let's say you're not a professional investor. So it's got a limited amount of time. We can kind of work on how much time that might need to be, but let's say it's limited. What are the what are the kind of habits? What are the what are the must do's? What are the things you just want to get in the grain of to to improve your investing? I think around temperament and patience is is a really nice. important train uh, things to try and nurture. Um, uh-huh. I, 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 either in just waiting to be ready to act. I think once we've sort of oh I'm going to do this, we're very keen to sort of dive in. So I think we need to be slow to slow to initially act and then slow to react. I think these are these are very these are very good skills, and it's sort of a must have before before anything else. I don't know how you really practice it. I guess maybe you just steal yourself for the, the inevitability of needing to do that and weather bear markets and all of this kind of stuff. Um, but consistency is the other one as well, and I think this is yeah, where nice. a lot of a lot of people really struggle. Which is, I mean, you kind of got to turn up. Whatever the frequency, the frequency will depend on how much interest and time you've got for it. But whether it's every day or it's every quarter or every month mm-hmm. or whatever it happens to be, just showing up and and making sure you're across the big things. And you, you can go as deep as you want, but you don't have to go that deep, right? Really, yeah. Yeah. If, if all you do is read the and we, uh, annual reports are intimidating because they're so thick, but if, if you're just reading the introduction, the overview, the year in review from management, it's not, it's not that much. Mm-hmm. And especially if you might have $10,000 invested in this company, you kind of owe it to yourself to spend 20 minutes to read the introduction, you know, but, but these little things like that, keeping up with ASX announcements, whatever, it's like that'll put you ahead of 80% of, of the average, you know, retail <laughs> yeah, investor. That's right. um, so, so I, I think that's, that's very much worth doing it and, and doing it when it feels great to do it because you lots of green on your screen, you feel like a genius and, and doing it when it feels really crappy because it's red and, you know, it looks like you've lost lots of money and all of that kind of stuff. That's, they're, they're, they're two of, of the biggest things, I think. I love it, mate. I'm going to add a couple. Um, I'm going to go with something you talk about patience. I'm going to go with, um, ironically, you talk about habits specifically. I'm going, to, I'm going to make it more than a habit. I'm going to say automate your investing. Uh, at the very, very, very least, automate your saving. Yeah. Uh, separate out an, an investment, a, a savings account for your investing cash. The dividends go in there, and every time you get paid, money goes in there. So it's, not, it's a habit of sorts, but automate it because it's even better than a habit. Automation, automation wins, right? So make sure you do that. Um, that's the starting point. Then you start to build up the cash. Now, if you invest it regularly, I love being fully invested because I think markets go up over time. Uh, so I am almost always fully invested. Andrew's not quite as much, um, but that's I think for me uh, the right the right approach. A um, couple of things: uh, habitually read. So set yourself a goal to read an investing book every X period of time. Now I can't. I don't know your personal circumstances. Maybe you got kids. Maybe you work long hours. Maybe you don't. Um, Give yourself a, a commitment to read regularly. Uh, it might be one day a weekend. It might be 30, 30 minutes a, a night. Uh, it might be once every three weeks if that's all you can manage. Um, the old, the best investment is one you make in yourself thing is a cliche, but cliches are cliches because they tend to be real. Uh, and so become a better investor by reading a lot. Now, I'm actually about investing books here, not companies, um, because the company information, it, Charlie Munger talks about mental models, right? The very best thing you can do, on Andrew and I are at this point in our careers because we're old people, uh, where you get to a point of, uh, you, you, when you read something about a company, it drops into a bucket, a, a mental model bucket. Oh, that's that sort of company. Oh, that's that sort of you know macro environment. Oh, that's that sort of market situation. 
what it what it lets you do is it lets you you know, there's, there's talk about, um, what do they call it, mate? It's like the kind of uh, mental fatigue, right? Where you kind of, mm. decision fatigue, where you're kind of processing and processing and processing it. It'll drive you nuts. You can't make good decisions. Eventually, the, the heuristics, the kind of rules of thumb, you realize, okay, if I'm looking at a retailer, here's how I think about it. Here's what I look for. Here's what I do. Here's how I do it. If I'm looking at a miner, okay, here's what I think of. Here's what I do. Um, those, those buckets are useful. So you want to develop the mental frameworks. And that is by reading about investing, not about companies. So I think that, particularly early on, is what I'd over-invest in. Uh, no pun intended, but kind of funny anyway, um, is in doing that sort of stuff. And then when you get to the companies themselves, I I agree with Andrew with one small exception. And that is, just be careful reading the intro stuff because they're trying to sell you. you know, we're long past the days when, not that Andrew disagrees with this, by the way, we're long past the days when companies would say, here, here is the warts and all thing that I think you need to know as, as the owner of this company. Warren Buffett still does it. Uh, so Pat's are pretty good at it. I own both those companies. Um, there's others out there who are just really candid and really honest. The rest are just trying to sell you. Look how great we are. Look how P- well PR, PR people have had yeah. a big influence on the writing of these things. Drives you, yeah. drives you mad. And they do it because they want to try and push the share price up. And there's, you know, anyway. Yeah. So, so, by all means, so yes, read those things. Just read it with a skeptical eyes. All I would just add to Andrew's point. Um, I would, though, if you can, find a company... Uh, and keep it simple early on, by the way. I, you know what? I've never, ever read BHP's full annual report because it's 400 pages long. Mm. I don't think I'm ever going to read that annual report. Like, just It's way too dense and way too long. I'm just not going to get there. I'm not, not going to do that. A third of it is um, the remuneration report, by the way. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Mm. Um, so, you know, but, but, but I do think find some simple businesses and actually look at the P&L and try and ask yourself what it's telling you. As an investor, the best way to learn, you know, if you can study accounting, that's actually, it sounds really boring. It genuinely is the language of business. Um, the best course I ever did, funnily enough, was accounting for non-financial managers. And it was way back, I was 23 probably. Uh, I was kind of investing a little bit on the edge, but doing it badly and just had just started know where I was going. I had a great lecturer who just opened my eyes to the way, I did accounting at uni, but this was actually really good. It was just the accounting for non-financial managers was like, you know, not for the, not for the, not for the bean counters, people actually made business decisions. That was really great. So mm. um, do that. Um, but you know, but look at the PL. Ask yourself, what does it look like? Uh, is sale, are sales growing? Are sales declining? Are cost of goods sales growing or declining as a proportion of sales? In other words, are margins increasing or decreasing? Uh, what what lines of the PL are increasing? What are decreasing? And just kind of you're know, trying to ask yourself those questions. You won't always know the answers, but it just gives you familiarity. It also tells you a little bit about the businesses you're looking at. You know, Woolies probably banks about four cents in every dollar of revenue. Um, other companies, I uh, can't think of any good examples, mate, but uh, tech companies, Andrew, you probably know some, would bank 30, 40 cents per dollar of revenue, right? Neither yeah. is better or worse, by the way. Um, I mean, ideally, you'd bank more if you could, but that doesn't mean Woolies is a, is a worse company than some you know, tiny tech company just because it happens to have lower margins, but there are different impacts on a business with lower margins or higher margins. Mm. Um, so just, just kind of ask yourself, what is it telling me? What am I seeing there? Grab the calculator, do some numbers. Uh, what, what percentage rate of sales growing by? What percentage rate is uh, profits growing by? Interest costs, what do they look like as a percentage of profits? Uh, if, they, if rates go up, that's going to go up. Okay, what does that mean? So you can kind of just just kind of be interested and do that. Well, maybe, I don't know, again, depends on your time frame. Once a month, maybe, just grab one. Grab, one, uh, grab an understandable company. Don't do BHP. Don't do a miner necessarily because just you've got difficult numbers there. Just like, grab a retailer or a, a manufacturer, so just a simple operating business that you can really get your teeth into. It'll help you learn a bit more as you go. You're right. <laughs> oh, there's a buck coming. Yeah, well, I mean, for a lot of people, understandably, that just sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> That's fair. 
And that it is, it is. And so I, I know I always say this, but I feel as though all the best investors I know, it's not work. It's, it's, yep. they just, that's true. Birds and that's they true. do it. Yeah. And, but, but it's not a judgment of any way. Cause I, I yeah. expect most normal people to, to mm. not be interested in, in too much in that kind of level of detail. So, which is fine. But I, I feel as though for those that are going to, it's like, exercising or dieting or you know trying to learn a new skill if you're not into it you're just not going to do it right so i think that's the first kind of just be honest with yourself is this the kind of stuff that i'm i'm interested in and if you're not that doesn't mean you can't invest we talk about it all the time you spend less than what you earn tip it all into a broad index fund away you go you'll outperform most of the most of the professional money managers it's super easy I'd say there's great advantage in getting into the weeds, but do it because mm-hmm. you've got an interest for it. It's not reading a balance sheet or an income statement because you desperately need to know what the metric happens to be. You know, you're, you're, you're reading it because you've got a cu- curiosity as what is this entity? How do they create value? Where does the money come from? What's that likely to do over time? So they're sort of, you're doing banal, seemingly boring things, but it's more... You're more a detective on the case. I mean, the thrill of the hunt. Investors always get off on it, right? Yeah. Because it's so exciting. Not, not the accounting is exciting, no, or mm-hmm. the business model per se, but it's sort of like here's a real thing in the real world that's yep. got real operations and might be doing better in the future. And how mm-hmm. can I mm-hmm. make any kind of assessment on that? Well, I have, okay, what do they, yeah. I always start, you know, what do they do? Oh, okay. What industry do they operate? In? Oh, okay. mm-hmm. You just, investing and researching is just asking a series of very obvious yet sensible questions and then seeking to answer them. And for the minority, you'll get to a point where it's like those answers seem to be more favorable than not. And, yeah, yeah. and then you go for it and it's great. And you won't, you won't need to say, oh, I've got, okay, it's the first Monday of the month. I've got to read an investment book. You're doing it because you just want to do it anyway, right? Like I think, I think that's a really important point to emphasize. And one other thing I just wanted to say quickly, mm-hmm. you mentioned before mm-hmm. about sort of just committing to saving regularly and how yeah. uh, in terms of habits, it, it, is, it is the far bigger one. Like if you, if you mm-hmm. could shift – only one of two dials. One was how much you saved each week and one was the return that you got yes, on investment. Exactly. I, yeah. I, I, you know, short of moving the dial to something ridiculous, like I get 10,000% yes. a year or something yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It is, it is, it is the, it is the uh, saving that, that, that is really the big driver of wealth creation. Yeah. Um, and I'll say on that, I'm, I'm a, not a fan of budgets, which is, seems a bit you counterintuitive. You said that before. It's very controversial. Yeah. I, 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 the, the trouble with budgets is they, you know, one sticks to them and it's too hard yeah. and you can't anticipate what your desires and your situations mm-hmm. are going to change. So I like to do what's called a reverse budget. And a reverse budget, I just think is so much more effective. And which, and you, this is what you, is essentially what you said, which is look at what you get paid each month, each week, whatever the frequency is, and just say, I'm going to save 200 bucks out of it. I'm going to save 100, whatever, 50 bucks. I don't care, 20 yep. bucks. Yep. And then after that, do whatever you like. Go crazy. You'll yeah. pay yourself first. It's yeah, so exactly. easy because then yeah. I don't have, oh, no, I only budgeted $35.40 for takeaway food this week and I'm over it. It's, it's, it's stupid. It's mm, impractical. Mm, you're never mm. going to stick to it. Once you take the money out of your hot little hands, just zip yeah. it away on the day it's received, then have at it. Do it. Do whatever the hell you like because that's just so easy um, and, it's, and, it's, and it's just as effective. I will add on behalf of some people, though, budgeting is about making sure you get to the next payday and still have cash in the pocket. Otherwise, you read your investment savings because you didn't budget. You bought the pair of jeans on payday and then a week and a half later, you got nothing to put in the cupboard, so you're having to do it. So you're right. Don't, don't, budget, don't budget for the sake of having something left over for, for investing. Yeah. Um, pay yourself first. Put that money aside. Uh, but yeah, some people just need to budget because <laughs> otherwise you don't get fed on day 14 yeah. before the next, uh, the next yes. pay is due on the, in the bank account. Yeah. Um, hopefully, Take care hopefully that. 
Exactly. Hopefully, it helps you. Um, what about the influence of sentiment, mate? Uh, Jono asked about the, the influence yeah. of sentiment compared to question. data. And he says, look, is there any point because it can swing so wildly? Is it wiser simply not invest in esoteric stock? What do you reckon? Um, you've got to know what you don't know and know what, you know, what do you say? It's like, is it, in, it needs to be important and knowable. So, yeah, sentiment can be important in the short term. It's actually not that important in the long term. Um, but the problem is either way, it's, it's unknowable. So I think one of, the, one, of the, one of the things you have to make peace with as an investor is, is just th- things are just not – sentiment is, is unpredictable and crazy mm-hmm. and massively influential in the short term. And so the point is, is that that doesn't mean that you can't do it. It just means, well, as I said, it actually doesn't matter in, in the longer term. So you ju- that's why that – Patience and consistency are so important. You do it when times are good. You do it when times are bad, and uh, you know yeah. it'll, it'll it'll all come out in the wash. Even if you invest it, if you're investing over your your entire life, mm-hmm. and you started during the heady days of a raging bull market, and yep. you ended your investing career in the depths of a bear market, you're still you're still going to be fine over any significant period of time. Um, so yeah, so just just I, I would love to say, oh, sentiment, yes, this is how you predict it, and this is how you react to it, and this is how you plan for it. But I, that was a conversation on charting, essentially, from before. And and correct. My viewpoint is that there is no workable, practical solution. So unfortunately, just suck it in and suck it up, and 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 understand that you just it, it's it's the price of admission. You just have to deal with it. I completely agree. Um, I'm going to take a very different view, which is to, as Charlie Wang would say, invert the problem. Sentiment is, in my view, an output, not an input. Mm. Or maybe, maybe more clearly, when you say sentiment is doing this to a share price, it doesn't really matter. Sentiment explains why a price might be diverging from its fundamental underpinnings, right? Mm. Uh, and, and generally, so you'll generally say that if it's a profitable company, in the change in the, the PE ratio. So if it makes a dollar of profit this year and a dollar of profit next year, profit doesn't change. If the share price doubles or halves, it's, it's people saying, ah, oh, I now like this more or like this less. Or I think the future is probably brighter or less bright. The, the, and we say, oh, that's obviously sentiment. The thing, the, the, the kind of the balancing item in this, in this analysis is sentiments, how, how good I feel about the business or its current or its, or its future circumstance. I would just say to you, Jono, it doesn't matter because all you're doing is explaining why share prices are moving or why they're now cheaper or more expensive than they were. The only thing you have to do is decide whether you want to buy or sell at that prevailing price. Mm. So it's kind of like, you know, it's, it's, if you want to describe the system or explain the system, it's really useful as, a, as an explanation or explanatory tool. But you only have to say, okay, well, it, the company made a dollar of profit last year and it's now selling for $5, it was $10. Has sentiment got worse? Yeah. Okay, but do you like it at five bucks? <laughs> yeah. is, is it worth buying it five bucks yes or no yeah. um, who, who, uh, I guess who cares I don't mean who cares and it's a bad question John I just mean it doesn't it doesn't need to matter if you like the business a lot and it's cheaper then great if, it, if you like the business a lot it's more expensive that still might be great because you still might like it a lot so it might be worth buying uh, or not in both cases um, but I guess when you say the quantifying the influence of sentiment it just doesn't it, only only as much as you know the share price down oh my god I feel terrible my, I bought it my share price down it must be sentiment it's worth saying, okay, is it sentiment or does someone know something I don't know? In other words, what is the market thinking that I don't maybe haven't realized? Otherwise, just I, just ignore it. Um, because your point about is it wise to not invest in esoteric stocks? If, if you're paying too high a price because of sentiment, then that's a question of valuation on your on your account. So buy now, pay later stocks. I've absolutely crashed. And sentiment was way too high. 
But if you didn't buy it because you didn't like it at that price, it doesn't need to worry you. If you bought it at that price, maybe you got carried away. Maybe there's a lesson there. Or maybe you think it is worth that price, in which case it's even cheaper now. And that's great because you get to buy more if you wanted to. Um, it, 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 the, the absence, or sorry, the presence of sentiment shouldn't change whether or not you invest in esoteric or non-esoteric stocks. Um, just buy them if they're good prices, sell them if they're overvalued or sell them if your thesis breaks or you don't want the, the shares anymore. Um, just ignore sentiment. It's, just, it's, it's Mr. Market giving you an opportunity to buy or sell. Yeah, that's the way I look at it. It is, it is an opportunity. Um, it really is. I also very hyper aware when you make those kinds of comments. It's just so easy to say, isn't it? Like, <laughs> don't worry it about really it. Is. I mean, you know, who cares if you lost half your money? Don't worry. Yeah, exactly. That's oh, right. That's I've right. had a brutal year myself. You know, it's just and it's just it's par for the course. I I, yep. it, I yep. will. I've had these periods before. I'll have them again. You know, and it's just yep. if the first time it happened to me, I said stuff this and walked away. I'd be yeah. in a much worse situation today than I than I currently am. Um, had I sold everything a year ago, I'd be a much better situation today than I than I than I am at, at, at present. But again, it's that consistency part of it, and and acknowledging what yeah. I can control yeah. and can't control. Yep. So I just, I just, it's not easy. It really sucks, you know. Get some hard conversations around the it's dinner table. Like years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right, totally. You know, uh, I know we had this much money, but now it's only this much. But, but don't worry about it; it's all good. In fact, I want to buy more. Yeah. Like that's they're hard conversations, but that's kind of what separate. That, that's kind of by definition what you you have to do and as, as yeah, we said yeah. you, you looking at it through the lens of opportunity not that you're going to be able to predict exactly when sentiment turns but you can now cast rather than forecast which is objectively is this cheap relative to my expectations correct, of the correct. future not you know is it going to get cheaper or will get more expensive i don't know but is in absolute is, is it good value now yeah okay i'll buy i'll buy more it, that, that's the only thing that kind of matters and when you do that and and you know the other the opposite is true too. When things seem excessive, you go, mm, "I like it," but geez, I'm paying a lot for <laughs> That's it. That's right. Yes. You know, yeah. you just again not trying to time, but just act when 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 sentiment is weak, you act more aggressively, uh, and vice versa. That tends to be yep. a pretty yep. good thing over the long term. Agreed. Agreed. That's a really nice way to finish it, mate. Uh, and last one from Jono about the company management. He says you need to you talk about a need to gain an understanding of management, but how do you do that? Um, I'll go first on this one. Yeah, it comes uh, up Ram, a bit, just, this one. Yeah. It does. And it's, so there is no easy answer. This is, this is, this is everything investing is art. Don't ever let anyone tell you it's science. It's a bit of maths, but it's, a, it's applied art, if you like. Um, the uh, management's really hard. Um, we talked on Friday when we talked about Uncle Elon, the, you know, just because someone's do, doing one thing, it, just because they're smart isn't enough. Just because they've been successful in one area doesn't mean they've been enough. Um, there's been plenty of people who managed to jump in the right company at the right time and re- ride a, a massive tailwind. You know, literally the old ham sandwich could have run the business type thing and look like geniuses. Um, telcos are a great example. They had, they had a spectacular sort of 10 years up finishing about five years ago. Um, you know, honestly, Andrew and I could have worked in, walked in, uh, worked only two days a week at, at a telco and as long as you had half decent uh, engineers, you couldn't help but make money. Um, that finished. Now running a telco, although we're running an airline, right? I, I, Alan Joyce gets a massive whack in the media, uh, probably partly deserved. I think he's done a spectacular job of running Qantas as well as he has, despite the fact Qantas' business is pretty ordinary, despite all the problems, because it's just a really, really stupidly hard business. So, you know, was was the telco boss great and Alan Joyce terrible? No. Was it necessarily the other way around? No, also not. Um, if you have a if you have a manager that's run two 
different businesses in different economic circumstances, either macro circumstances or just different circumstances for those businesses, that's a really good sign for mine if you're looking for performance. It's rare, very hard to find. Um, I look for businesses that have been successful under long-term managers uh, where they've gained meaningful market share and or profit growth at the expense of competitors or better than their competitors. So comparative, I don't love comparative analysis on pricing, but I actually do love it on management performance. If you've got two businesses, one's done better than the other one and meaningfully better, there's a decent chance management is part of that. Now, it can be brand, it can be a whole lot of other things, but management's probably part of that story. Um, look for management candor. It's really rare. We talked about that before. Um, if you get a manager who just says, this is what's going on, this is what you need to know, that's important. Uh, a bit of humility is, is important if you can find it. Um, so that's probably, they're probably just a quick checklist of things I'm looking for. Know, by the way, you'll be wrong about management as you are about investing some proportion of the time as well. Mm. Uh, there'll, be, there'll be people who are charismatic who pull all of your eyes. Uh, there'll be people who look disappointing who do a spectacularly good job. Um, the other thing is, pro- just one last one for me, is look for managers who talk about the business as an operating business. Mm. When you talk to a manager, I'm going to say Daryl Lobotomy at BAPCOR could really clearly enunciate why BAPCOR needed to change, the things he was doing, why he was doing them, what he thought it would lead to. Not that his predictions were right, but he had just an obviously really detailed view of the business, how it was going to make its money, why it was going to be successful, what the the future looked like. Um, that, That level of granular detail, he could still be wrong, but if you combine that with other stuff, um, it, it tells you a bit, I think, about about how well those businesses are being run. Ram? Mm. Yeah, no, I agree with all of that. It, it is hard. Um, I mean, one of the big, <laughs> I'll shill my own business here for a second, but with, <laughs> with Premium, but the, we do CEO interviews at least once a week. And right. um, it's hard to sort of say what makes you pay more attention than not. In a bizarre yeah. way, the better storytellers more concerning because they know yes, the narrative correct. they know the right things to <laughs> say right. exactly you know yeah. i've always loved yeah. the very soft-spoken one type of ceo i like the one that is as you say talks about the business and mm-hmm. re- rarely talks about the share price i yes. like the one that the when they talk about the business they're talking about how it looks over three five ten years mm-hmm. not like what mm-hmm. we're trying to do next quarter uh i like ones that have been consistent in their messaging it's very it's very sort of hard to to make it a formula but i think you do you do pick up things over time and and i i've said it before too i like managers that own mistakes yeah we did this and it was a mistake you know we're moving on this is why we're doing it and they tend to get a hard there's a big incentive not to do that because they they tend to get a hard time for it but but i i appreciate it and yeah i it's it's oh the other thing that needs to be mentioned was alignment um it's always great when when insiders have got a lot of money in the company, and then importantly, money that Good they one, yeah. have put in themselves. Not you know, here's a here's a risk free direct loan that you can go and buy shares, or performance rights that you get if you know as long as, long as you continue to fog a mirror, you'll get ten million shares next month. You know yeah. that yeah. that kind of stuff's pretty egregious. But when there's genuine skin in the game, you see them buying on market. It's not a it's not and a shares rather than options, right? Like the money they're putting aside, like they they you know, it's not, it's not, options are free money. If things work out, you might get something here. It's like no, no, I've got real dollars in the in the market i could take them out now and cash them if i chose to yeah but i'm leaving them there because i believe in what's the, going the, on the saying is management um sell for many reasons but they buy only for one and yeah. and that is that you know you might sell shares because you've got a tax issue or you want to buy that new private jet or whatever it is that ceos want to spend their money on you mm-hmm. can there are totally legitimate reasons why you would want to sell rebalance your portfolio i don't know whatever 
But but you're only buying uh, voluntarily on market with your own cash. And I'm not talking about a window dressing, oh, look, wow, the CEO who's mm. worth $20 million bought $1,000 worth of shares. That's completely, you know, it's, it's, it's almost cynical. But when they've made significant purchases, and actually you see a lot of, of um, directors doing that, again, no guarantees in this game whatsoever. But do you like to see it? 100%, you know, especially when it's big, big sums of money. They might be wrong. It's, it's not, they might be absolutely genuine on this is so cheap, I am buying it. But they, they might still be wrong because they don't know that a new competitor is going to come out of left field tomorrow and destroy their business. So it, it happens all the time. But it's, it's a good sign. It's a good sign. I like yeah. to see it. I like it, mate. I like it. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Let's go on to a question from Bisho, who says, Morning Fools, you both talked on a recent podcast about the government's lack of long-term vision, planning and policies due to the influence being placed on being re-elected. Short-term vision, he says in brackets, or she says. You uh, Then should we look at having longer election periods, say perhaps five-year terms, like in some other countries? This would allow governments more time and incentive to implement mid- to long-term programs. That way, these programs have the time to develop and people can see the results prior to going to the polls again. Or would it be politically untenable due to a successful government being able to stay in power for longer and no opportunity presented to the opposition to campaign for change? Wow. Thoughts? Regards, Bisho. What do you reckon, mate? Longer terms or are we good as we are? Well, this, this is well well outside of investing and I'm, I'm no political science, so, <laughs> scientist. So, yeah, I mean, I don't, I have not deeply thought that through. Lengthening election mm. cycles. Yeah, I can see the advantage. I'm sure there's a whole bunch of negatives that come with it as well. You're, you're, you're more on top of this kind of stuff. What, what do you think? <laughs> what, what potato you, mean, you mean I'm an opinionated so-and-so who <laughs> spends too much time thinking about politics. Um, Bishop, I like the idea. Um, I, I don't know if I go five years. I reckon four might be a good compromise. The current federal terms are three years. Um, we had a government in New South Wales, a state government. They have they have fixed four-year terms here. And they were so badly on the nose for the last year or a year and a half. It actually became, don't bit distracting, but it almost kind of reduced a bit of faith in government. These guys were always going to get turfed out. They're going to lose by by miles. They were, it was almost one of those things where you kind of, you can almost sense, I think, in the population, a bit of a loss of faith in, in government generally. Now, frankly, there's a lot of trust left in politics anyway, so maybe it doesn't matter anymore. But there was just that sense of like, obviously these guys are hopeless, obviously they're going to lose, obviously whatever. And it almost became a bit of a, you know, walking uh, kind of clown show car crash, choose your metaphor, um, where, where people kind of just ignored it and went, oh, you know, this is this is kind of not great. So I, I think I agree with you. I think I... I definitely like the idea of, you know, not having to effectively start campaigning as soon as you win. You know, the idea of having a, a bit of time to to make some changes and make things work, I, I quite like. So I think on, ben, on, on balance, I would absolutely, I'd go with four-year terms personally. Um, as a start, maybe you could increase them to five if it worked. But I think it's I think it's a smart approach, man. I think three years is too short. Um, it's just really short. If you think about it, you know three years, like think about that. By the time you win, you get some stuff sorted out. You're probably going to campaign out a year, so you got two years max to do anything at all. Uh, so yeah, I, I actually think it's a it's a nice idea. Also, by the way, it's not a big deal, but um, a reminder that you, I'm sure you know the Senate elections. There's only a half Senate election every three years, so effectively a senator serves for six years, uh, and that I assume changes some things. Now different focus and all that kind of stuff but it's not exactly unheard of so yeah I, I like the idea I wouldn't have a massive issue with five but I reckon we go to four and see if that works and then maybe go from there 
There you go. One, one, one other problem solved for the world. You're welcome. <laughs> we do what we can. <laughs> Here we go from oh dear. Uh Hi there, says Mark. Not sure if this is the right channel to submit a listener question, but here goes. I love the debate between Andrew and Scott about home ownership and the different direction and regrets they candidly bring to the discussion. I agree wholeheartedly with the boys. Negatively gearing residential property is an absolute dud when you properly account for the opportunity cost of the money needed to fund the deposit and sustain the dreadful losses year in, year out until the point of sale or slow progression to a break even and eventually positive cash flow. I've headed down the home ownership path myself, but I've used the equity built in our home to fund the full deposits for four further residential investment property purchases, i.e. he says no cash out of pocket whatsoever. Those residential properties have all been deliberate, carefully sought out high yield properties based in major regional centres. They've all produced positive cash flow from day one, so none have cost me any cash out of pocket to hold either. The surplus cash has been funneled into accelerating pay down of our mortgage, it's non-deductible debt, he says, and more recently maxing out concessional contributions into my wife's super. So my question, is or was there an opportunity cost to this strategy that I need to account for and reconcile myself with? Am I just another delusional residential property investor missing a key point? I've racked my brain for the last 20 years on executing this strategy and I haven't been able to find a flaw in my reasoning. But if there is one, I'm sure the smarts of Andrew and Scott will flush it out and I'd love to be all the wiser for it. <laughs> Full on Mark. Where is the flaw in Mark's plan, Andrew Page? Um, it, there's no flaw in it. It's just being aware of, of what possible scenarios it can lead to. So it, it is, this is what's difficult um, when you raise certain concerns against certain investment structures and expectations is that historically when you look back, taking on a huge amount of debt and, and, and rolling any um, increase in equity into more loans is just obviously the best thing to do in a, rising, in a rapidly rising market. Like just full stop, it is. And for a long period of time too. For a long period of time, you know. So, so when you... The, the, there's two questions here. Was that a good strategy? Well, as it turns out, it was. It was remarkable. Um, the, what could have happened? Um, I'm not. You know, I, I just just to point put it out there. This is not a prediction or anything like that. But the only reason the equity was there to be able to roll into something else was because of the price increase. If price didn't increase that much, or God forbid, mm. it fell, that doesn't that doesn't work. Now, mm. if you were to stay, this sounds like a really smart investor because they've actually. Unlike a lot of people, looked at it and go, "I like I like assets that have positive cash flow." Which so you know already I'm 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 much more um, on board with this, and they've done it to an extent where if there was any sort of nastiness in the market where they're not a forced seller, i.e., okay, my the, the 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 value of my houses goes down, but the income stream is more or less okay. I can still continue to service the mortgage. I can ride through it and come out. There's no problems with that. I've got absolutely no problems with that. The risk is though for, for some people who have who've pushed the thinking and strategy so far that although it's made squillions on paper, if there was you know a 10 or 15% drop, which is what what's happened in Sydney over the last 12 months, um, forces me to sell and lock in. Like you, the, the benefits of the, the leverage works both ways is what I'm saying. Mm. And so that's that's the downside. Um, and then it's just a question. It's not a black and white thing because at, mm. at one percent, you know, if you're leveraged one to one, fifty percent geared, you're probably pretty safe. If you've borrowed eight times for you know eight dollars for every one dollar you've mm. got, well, you're mm. much more 
risky. And where you want to sit on that spectrum is entirely a personal choice. The more riskier you get, the better money you'll make when times are good, but the more risk you are at washing out. And and that that needs to be the calculus that you look at. So is that a flaw or is it, it's not a flaw, it's just a feature. And it's a feature you need to be aware of and find a line that's comfortable. Yeah. Um, I so, so I think there's a couple of things going on. I think, you know, has it worked out well? Yes. Um, now I can I can play Russian roulette and click the trigger and nothing happens. I say, see, I told you I was smart to play Russian roulette. And you go, well, that, no, that was clearly stupid. Um, you can say, I have all my money in cash in four different banks. I've been really thoughtful and careful. And yet there was some un- unforeseen economic crash. You know, w- was that stupid? No, you still lost all your money. So separating out the outcomes from the odds of success or the or the uh, sensibility or otherwise of the strategy are different things so first i'm not saying you're wrong by the way mark i'm just saying you look at those differently so you can't judge they call it eventing in the uh, statistics world in the in, mm-hmm. uh, four things mm-hmm. also in the professional poker world is saying this hand worked out therefore i played it correctly mm. and that's just not true um yeah. you might you might have done it or you might have been lucky and, and you need to separate those two yep. uh, and again if they work out badly the same thing you, just because you get a bad outcome doesn't mean you you played it badly Mm. Um, so that's the first thing second thing is obviously we're looking at both at the time and, and subsequently so at each point when you had the extra extra um, equity because of the rising prices was it right to use that money is a different thing from should I have planned to do that right or you know could it, could it have gone differently so we're kind of partly saying after the fact was it right uh, or before the fact was it right the other thing is obviously during the case as you generate a more equity was it was it a good idea to keep going well, probably if that's if that's the way it worked out. A mm. uh, couple of things. I, so I'm not going to say you did the wrong thing or you're doing the wrong thing. Uh, I'll add a couple of things to Ram's uh, thoughts in terms of potential, because you're asking us for the to shoot holes or potential holes in it. Uh, I'll take that approach. Um, if interest rates had do continue to be higher than you thought, then all those positive cash flow things can become negative cash flow reasonably quickly. Uh, again, depending on how much equity you've got in each one, all that kind of stuff. And there are circumstances where you can go from negative cash flow to positive cash flow back to negative cash flow, or just from positive straight to negative. Um, because if you've, if you've maxed yourself out, uh, all of a sudden, if the rent's not covering the interest repayments because they rise quickly, you can go from positive cash flow to negative cash flow. And then potentially, the more leverage you used, I don't mean leverage in terms of absolute borrowing, I mean, the degree to which you took that um, home, the principal place of residence uh, mortgage, and parlayed that into investing, you can actually bring yourself entirely undone. In some circumstance, depending on how much you've got and how much you borrow and all that kind of stuff, there is a scenario where someone with four investment properties and a, a home mortgage goes broke for exactly those reasons, that the interest rates go up too quickly, they can't pay them, and all of a sudden they wipe out you know, uh, their, their cash flow. Secondly, of course, you can wipe out that equity. So the money you thought you were taking and putting aside and growing with, if that goes into reverse, it's again, you leverage works both ways. You, you leverage the downside. So it wasn't a no loss outcome potential. It hasn't been, which is great. And congratulations, glad you've done well. But in, in a different world, in a parallel universe somewhere, you've now got five properties that are all underwater and costing you money every day. Mm-hmm. And you think, man, that, that got bad really fast. So there's that, that kind of stuff as well is definitely possible. The other one is opportunity cost. And it's straight out, you know, what if you'd taken that money out of the mortgage and put it in shares instead? And what if those shares had grown over time? And again, I'm not, I don't know the answer in terms of what it might have done. Um, but there is a scenario I've talked about before with my investing. We've got a very complex spreadsheet where I put in my assumptions for you know, share gains, dividends, property gains, rental increases, interest rate changes. And my wife and I have tried to look at that and say, okay, what, which one should we do? Should we take money out 
And I've said before, I may buy an investment property this year if, if things work out you know, attractively enough. If prices fall enough, I may do it because that spreadsheet might change. But for now, I haven't got a scenario where over 30 years, based on the assumptions I think are likely, I think I'm better off actually putting money into shares than leveraging into property because of the net costs of doing all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's, a, it's a question of assumptions, mate. And more than assumptions, it's a question of which assumptions come true, how accurate those assumptions were. And you can't know those in advance. Yeah. Uh, my, my last point is just a simple one, which is I'm a very much a don't go back to square one kind of guy. I've worked hard. I've saved hard. I've been very lucky over the first X years of my life and working life. If I had to go back to zero now because I accidentally got it wrong, even with the best of intentions, I'd be in a very different economic circumstance. I choose not to put myself in that scenario. Mm. I don't want to have that much debt. I don't want to be that exposed to the risks of um, uh, you know, making a bad choice or having bad circumstances, bad outcomes. So I'm not, I'm not going to put that much leverage in my life. When it goes well, you will, you know, we draw on a graph, <laughs> the I can't have the same upside you've got. Because I'm not, I'm not borrowing into multi-millions of dollars worth of property, which if I'm right, or you're right, will be worth many multi-millions of dollars in 20 years. Your, your upside potential is bigger than mine. Absolutely, Mark. I, absolutely. My downside potential, I think, is less than yours. And that makes me very happy. And I'm comfortable being in that middle space rather than shooting for the, shooting for the stars and maybe coming crashing back down to earth. So again, I'm not saying you will. I'm just explaining why I would take a different approach and what the risks might be of doing that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, again, it's one of these conversations. I think people will pigeonhole too much as pro property or anti, you know, the, or anti yeah, property. Exactly. It becomes, yeah, I, yeah. you know, I, I, I know firsthand that it's very easy to be misunderstood with, with yeah. some of these comments. So I'll, for the avoidance of any doubt, I will say that it's, I'm, I'm absolutely not against the idea. If, look, if I could, if I could conservatively leverage, say, 50% gearing ratio into a portfolio of properties, that gave me a gross yield of five or six percent. You can argue whether I'm realistic in that assumption or not, mm-hmm. but if that's mm-hmm. if that's what I looked out there and thought that I could get, I actually think it'd be really favor. I'd be really disposed to that. It's not an ideological affront I have to the concept of doing it. I think you've taken on leverage, but to my earlier point, it's not a great deal. I mean, you'd have to see you'd have to see the value of your property drop in half uh, b- before you sort of um, got into real trouble there. And that's that's probably unlikely on a company uh, a company a property that is yielding that kind of of cash flow. So again, not, never say never, but that that doesn't strike me as an overly risky approach. And if if equity did build up over time and I could maintain mm-hmm. that kind of gearing ratio yeah, while correct. at the same time maintaining a good yield and in dollar terms growing growing the amount of income that's coming I think yep. I'm, I'm I'm totally cool with that so I'm not yeah, exactly. I'm not anti I'm not anti the approach I'm not anti the asset class at all it, mm-hmm. but it is as as we were sort of talking about before it is looking at the situation as it is right now yeah. and and my my negativity is really framed in the part of well actually if i look at a lot of places now where i can where i'm where i know and what i can afford mm-hmm. and the kind mm-hmm. of leverage that i would need and the kind of rental yields that the market is offering i don't want to highly leverage into something that's going to be a negatively cash flowing asset that's just me if the market ever changes i'm all you know very different standpoint so and i think you need to maintain that flexibility when saying is it property is it shares well actually there's a big opportunity set within asset classes but across asset classes and your job is in in shepherding your money is sort of saying where is the best risk reward opportunity you've just said 
for you, you you look out and you think it's shares. I'm with you, right? <laughs> I, I, that's, that's my view at yeah, this point yeah, in time. You yeah. could you couldn't force me to buy some of the properties that that are available right now in my area, yeah, um, yeah. but that that could change. And if if that changes, I need to change my stance as well. So, uh, yeah, hopefully Done. hopefully yeah, a bit more always- nuance there. Uh, question from Tendai who says, Hi, Scott and Ram. Hope you're not losing your hair in the midst of the market turmoil that was triggered by the collapse of SVB. This is in brackets. Pardon the reference to losing your hair, Scott. FYI, I have as much <laughs> hair as you. Thank you very much. Oh, Tendai, do we have to do this? Question. The price of Bitcoin has increased by 15% or more since the onset of the stock market meltdown. Does this indicate that Bitcoin has become the new gold? <laughs> i.e. a hedge against share market volatility. I know this sounds like an oxymoron, he says. Or at the very least, does this bolster the case for including Bitcoin as part of any investment portfolio to diversify risk as there is less correlation to share price movements? P.S. Ram, if your Bitcoin portfolio was to increase in value to say $2.5 million, would you cash out and buy a house in Sydney? Full on Tendai. Tendai, unfortunately, we don't have time to answer this question. So gonna- <laughs> oh, man, you're putting this at the end. There's so much to say. Um, All right, let's do our best. Um, let's, uh, okay. Is Bitcoin the new gold, Andrew? Is it a hedge against share market volatility? I, I don't. Uh, let's go back a step. It's actually up about 70% since the start of the okay. year. Um, it, historically, it, it has actually been reasonably correlated to what they call risk assets. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, it's been very volatile. But then again, I would say, well, point, look at some of the biggest tech stocks in the world. <laughs> Hello, volatility, right? Like this is, <laughs> this is sort of um, uh, not an unusual characteristic of, of Bitcoin. Right. Like it's not the only thing that's sort of volatile. We've even seen with government bonds can drop 40% in a year, right? Yeah. So I guess I'd, I'd make that point. Um, uh, by, by the way, mate, you said it's up uh, 70% since the beginning of the year. It still is down 32% over the last 12 months. Oh, just, yeah, just absolutely. I mean, you, you can frame it any way you like, but it's I, still I, up I, a gazillion exactly. percent over the last five years. Correct, and, correct, you know. correct. Um, I, I, I think for me what's interesting about it is I, I fully expect this thing to drop 50% multiple times over the period that I, that I hold it. Yeah. But I think what was interesting is that in a situation where there was very serious financial concerns in the in the in the financial sector, you had asked me what oh one, there's going to be bank runs in the U.S. What does that do to the price of Bitcoin? My guess would be mm. it's not good. It's not yeah. good because people are scared, and when people are scared, they flee away from risk assets. It's very much classed like by traditionalists as a risk asset. It's going to be mm. bad for the price. It went up, and it went up a lot. That was. That was interesting. It was. I think Bitcoin is sort of called for this decoupling that will happen at some point where it's actually recognised as something that doesn't fit into any of the traditional moulds, and it's actually got a lot of um, a lot of characteristics that that make it actually a very effective hedge against a whole bunch of other things. Um, so what I would say is what I would say is that the forget the price, honestly. What are the metrics that matter? Number of hash rate on mm. on the network, number of nodes, the number of wallets, the number of usage, all of those things are just going bottom left to top right. So in terms of the network, it's never been stronger. Would I sell if it got to, let's say, play a hypothetical. I'm not saying it will happen. Let's say it gets to $100,000 next year or a million dollars next year. Would I cash out? Actually would buy more. And the reason I think is, is that if under that, that scenario really only happens as it becomes more established as a viable mm. asset class. So it's kind of like the price is higher, but the risk is lower. And this is the point I've made to you before. I, was like, I, I think in, in, at the current point in time, this is the best risk-adjusted 
return profile you've ever had for Bitcoin. Yeah, you could have bought it for a dollar many, many years ago, but it was a complete speculation. We had no idea what was going to, the network then and now is completely different. In a future where this is increasing corporate sovereign adoption and the rest of it and the prices, that's being reflected in the price. That's like, no, now it's an even better bet. You know, the upside isn't as great, but the risk is significantly less. So I think- That's an unusual one, mate, because- in this case, while normally I would say, well, hang on, that's just momentum trading. You buy more because the price go up because more people like it. This is literally, it, it, it's, its value is in the price by definition. If, yeah. if all this price goes up, it doesn't make it more valuable necessarily as a business. It's yeah. just, it, we talked about sentiment earlier. In this case, it would literally be sentiment is the thing that matters. It is the, it, we're, we're measuring supply and demand for the currency itself. That's how it would be measured. So I just want to make that point because we've talked before about, you know, momentum and prices going up and down. Like it's a very, it's, you're matter. right to distinguish that. Why is that, why is that the case? Well, let's, let's say that again, hypothetical, the world decided mm. to transition onto Bitcoin tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, at the current price, there's not enough volume there. You can't, yeah. <laughs> global trade is too, the, the whole entire market cap is like half a, uh, half a, was it $500 billion, right? Mm. So it's less than the market cap of Apple. It just, it doesn't have the weight to support the, the transactions that are necessary. So right. Bitcoin has this really interesting phenomenon that as, it, as the, the exchange rate goes up and up, it's actually able to hold more weight. More transactions can go through it. There's more liquidity on the network. It mm. becomes more useful in terms of its value proposition. So it's sort of like, it's like saying, I bought Amazon because I think it's going to be a much bigger player in the online retail space. And then after five years of success, you say, yeah, I'm cashing in because I was right. It's like, no, now it's more right because they're clearly achieving on this end. And this is not that, yes, the pr price and value are two different things. Now, the best, the, you're not getting as good a price buying Amazon five years after it becomes more obvious, mm -hmm. but there's still huge upside potential. And now it's a much, much safer bet because they've got a dominant, clear lead, heaps of momentum in the business, huge network effects establishing. Like that's, too often people miss out, forget Bitcoin or just investing in general because you feel, oh, I've missed the bottom. It's too late mm. for me now. Mm. When these big structural changes are underway, so you can be very late. <laughs> you can still do very well. And in fact, you're taking much less risk than the earlier people. The earlier people get the better return, obviously, but mm. they, get, they take much more risk in, in getting that earlier return. I'm going to shut I, up I think, now because I'll keep going. I think, going I think ten, $10, $10 was partly the joke about the $2.5 million was at what point would you take the money and buy a house as a broad idea rather than it being overvalued necessarily. In uh, I, 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 great problem to have, but I, I would, it would be a very painful decision <laughs> because I, the way that this, this is more just a, a, a cynic's way of looking at it, but I can assure you, if, let's say it happened and I thought, woo, yeah. I can afford a house to buy it out right now and I do it. Yeah. You know what's going to happen after that, right? Like it, <laughs> yeah. it 100Xs from there and I'm sitting in my Except little the, house going, why did I do that for? Except if you don't buy the house, you know the price of Bitcoin's going to Exactly. That's exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> You're stuffed either way. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So I'd be very reluctant to, to do it. And it's very clear. I just want to make this clear because yeah. it too easily gets understood. I am not <laughs> buying this thing because I'm speculating where the price is going to yeah. be next year yep. or next yep. three years or next year. This is, this is either a thing or it's not. And if it's not, yeah. it's probably zero or very close to zero. If it is a thing, it's worth a hell of a lot more and it's going to play out even under very bullish scenarios it's going to play out over a long period of time and so that's that's 
that's the frame I'm going into it with, and and it, and yeah, you nice. know, so don't at me if it drops fifty percent or if it ten, <laughs> or if it ten. And, I, and tr- you hold me to account, mate. If yeah. we're talking in a yeah. year's time and it is a million yeah. dollars a coin, I'm not going to be doing any great victory laps because I certainly <laughs> didn't call it, didn't expect it in that kind of time yeah. frame, yeah. and and it's just sheer hubris to do so. So that the yeah, just it's important to frame things out correctly. Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, I'm only going to add my thoughts only to one part of this question, which is just the the new gold thing. Um, I think it's true. I think we might have talked about a couple of weeks ago that people did uh, find Bitcoin as a place to put money because it's a simple, easy, quick transfer out of out of a, a distressed bank that required very little in terms of t- setup and time and all that kind of stuff. So it makes sense if like if you're worried about the value of your dollars or dollars in general, uh, some having some other asset like Bitcoin or gold or something else made sense for some small number of people. And that's yep. that that's a real thing, and it it potentially is part of that acceptance story. Um, I don't think it's if it becomes the new gold. I don't think it's the new gold yet. We've seen it way too volatile. It is, as you said, mate, reasonably correlated with growth assets or risk assets more more directly yes. thus far. Um, so I, I, I think objectively, it's here's the, here's, speaking of sentiment. Gold's only gold's only the old gold, or you know, is it's only seen as a hedge for inflation because people think it's a hedge for inflation. Yeah. So the very the very the very nature of buying gold rather than holding money drives the price up so we say see i told you it was going to be that it's like you, you, the people doing it create the very outcome they're looking for mm. um, which is not which is not cynical or even wrong it's just it is what it is yeah. if people tomorrow said that gold is no longer a hedge for inflation so no one bought it next time there was a problem no one would buy it mm. and it would cease to be true yeah so it's only true for as long as people think it's true um it's a good thing to think is true to some extent because we've got ten thousand yes. years of track record where it has been oh, totally. true, absolutely right? yes so exactly. it's not, that's why i, I can yeah. sympathize with yeah. the gold bugs on that so i think i think looking at 100%. it at, through the lens of digital gold is a is a good way of thinking about it really yes. because it's not it's not something that produces cash flow it's not an equity you know it, it's not agree. a debt instrument it doesn't so and i think talking about it in those terms is not it's the wrong framework to sort of think about it. gold is a good framework 90 percent of gold's value if you look at all the gold in the world is is there as it's a monetary premium it, it's it's yeah. its value is because you can use it as a proxy for money if you That's took right. that away it, it it you know the amount that we use for jewelry and industrial purposes is very inconsequential and the price of gold would be much 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 lower so yeah. it's it, it's a good framework because it, it shares the characteristic of scarcity it's just that the great thing about it is is that it, it marries all the advantages of a hard money gold standard and it combines that with the telecommunications revolution. In other words, so now I've got gold, which is invisible, weighs nothing, can divide up into as many pieces as I want, and I can teleport it at the speed of light. I can instantly assay and verify it. You know, no one's put tungsten in the middle of it. Or, you know, it's, it's just like all of the advantages of, of one system combined with the new. But if you want to say, how do I think about it? I think gold is actually a pretty good way of, of, yeah. of thinking about it. And The difference it, is it doesn't have that 10,000 years of history and it, there's no guarantee that people will see the benefits yes. that you see in it as, as eventually the thing. So, 100%. Uh, yep. Which is why it's not yet the new gold. It, in, in, terms of it's, in terms of the way it will behave in economic circumstances, not the new gold. I actually 100% agree with you, mate. I, I yeah. For all of my, I, I'm a skeptical of Bitcoin as of gold and vice versa. You know, it's, it's no worse than gold. I completely agree mm. with the possibility that you still need people to have that yes. net effect of 10,000 years of acceptance. Yes. That, that level of acceptance that gold's had 10,000 years to build, Bitcoin is trying to, well, Bitcoin itself doesn't do anything, but Bitcoin holders, users, promoters, uh, fans, true believers are, are, are hoping to make it 
a, a, a yeah, give it the, the status, the yes. classification, the acceptance, the whatever of gold. We're just not there yet, Tendai. So yes. I, I wouldn't, I, personally, I don't buy gold anyway. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to hedge against volatility by definition. Um, but if I was going to, I would actually use real gold for now uh, for that specific purpose. If that's what you're literally trying to do is I know there's a very good chance this will be a good hedge. I think you can have a reasonably good view of that with gold because of that history. Bitcoin may eventually be that thing. I wouldn't be surprised if it eventually was. Um, nor would I be surprised if it wasn't, hence my fence sitting. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, I, I wouldn't use it as a, as a replacement for gold in that very specific context yet because the market hasn't come to that view. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, I think that's totally fair. It, it is, there's something uh, called the Lindy effect. And, mm. and basically it says the longer something has endured, the more, more valid it is, right? And yeah. so gold's very valid because it's just survived for so long. Which sounds silly, right? Because it's almost by definition, but that is almost exactly the point of Lindy effect. If, if we had never yeah. discovered yeah. gold and someone discovered yes. it tomorrow, it's, yeah, yeah. you know, it's, it's not going to have the same qualities that it has. This is, I just circle back on an earlier comment. Bitcoin, Please. I think too many people, when they think of Bitcoin, they think about it in the terms that they first heard about it five years ago. It doesn't right. sound like much, but the thing's only been in existence for 14 years. And that's why it was yeah. such a ridiculously speculative early bet. I mean, it's, the way it's evolved has been fascinating, but that yeah. I will make the point again that it is today a far better bet than it has ever been because we actually have 14 years and next year we'll have 15 years. And this is, this is always a core part of my thesis, which is if it survives, it's worth something. So you can imagine, let's, let's play another hypothetical. Let's say for the sake of example, put price to one side, that the Bitcoin network is still running in 10 years time. And it still had no downtime. It still had no hacks. It still operated flawlessly. That is by definition a much more uh, uh, interesting proposition because yeah. it's, it's, it's now, yeah. now we've got 25 years worth of history. Yes. You go, well, that's still not enough for me. And then you get to a point where it's like, hey, well, we've got 50 years. At what point do you sort of say, wow, there's this permanent thing? <laughs> and, and not only that, but more and more and more people are using it. That's kind of, that's kind of where you have to start with it. Mm -hmm. If, it, if it, the, the, every day that goes by, it becomes a little bit more valuable. We've got to be careful to our, our conversation on trends and stuff before. Tomorrow we could wake up and the whole thing could have collapsed. I think once, yes, you, exactly. once yep. you understand yep. the um, technology, it's extraordinarily unlikely, but it could happen, right? And, and, and if, yep. if, if that was, it's, it's all over. But, but every day that it doesn't, I think the, the, the opposite is, is also true. And so my, my, funny, we'll yeah. finish the pod, but I, look, I, I would just say my, I've got no care to try and convince people to buy it or not buy it. But I think you have to have a... I've got, a, I've got a set of a series of circumstances under which I would say, thesis broken. What a crazy idea I had to invest in Bitcoin, I'm out. Like there, there are certain things that can yeah, happen yeah, that would change yeah. my yeah. mind. I only encourage people to, who are, who are anti-Bitcoin to say, okay, what would cause me to change my mind? Now, maybe it's like, okay, yeah. by the time Apple has it on its balance sheet, okay. By the time it's yeah. officially regulated in the US, okay, that's it. By the time it reaches uh, market valuation of $1 trillion, that's when I do yeah. I don't know where the milestones are for you sit, but, yeah. but you should be aware that you can't have a static view of this thing that is monetizing from the ground up. Like it's, it's either you're right, in which case history will prove that you're right, or if you're wrong, you... There is, there's two kinds of wrong. There is, I was late to see it. And by the way, that's everyone's journey. Everyone is late to see it. Um, but do I just want to never see it or never give myself the opportunity to see it? Now, for some people, for you, for example, the line is much further out in the future to, to where it is yep. for me. No one's right or wrong. Yep. 
But I would imagine there's a point at which, like, again, let's play the hypothetical. The Australian government's just adopted it as its official currency. We'll give a stupid example, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And if you're at that, and by the way, let's say it's another 10 years of seamless operation and it's integrated, in, like most global commodities are settled on that as, as, an, as a medium of exchange. You've now got barrel of oil being priced in Bitcoin. Yeah, the person yeah. who goes, <laughs> right. no, no, it's a, it's a con. Only criminals use it. It's boiling the oceans. You know, it's like, man, you've really got to update your, your thesis yeah. here. Because a lot of this FUD, this is called fear, uncertainty, doubt, is, is kind of laughable now. It actually wasn't when it was first proposed. They're actually, you know, oh, what about a quantum attack? What about this? What about that? And it's like, actually, all very good points. But, but you know, it's 2023 and they're redundant now and we don't have time to go into that. But, but the, 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 the legitimate FUD that exists today, again, assuming that the thing goes on, will at one point be extinguished. And you, you just need to be flexible enough to kind of go, okay, now I'm going to take it seriously. I think the standpoint of saying I will never take it seriously on principle is a very silly, whether it's Bitcoin or shares or Correct. anything, yes. it's just a it, really it, it dumb be, standpoint. Yeah, exactly. you know, yes. there's, no, there's, no, there's no circumstance on which this could be true is as silly as yep. there's no circumstance on which this could be false. And that's, yep. I think, the, the challenge. I, I, think that's, I think it's absolutely right, man. I think that's, I, I, I think there's, so there's a couple of things you don't, it's also okay not to have a view, I, I would say, for, for what yeah. it's worth, um, or not to come to a, a strong enough view. Uh, the, the, I'm always, I, I believe the effect is real. It's also true that everything that eventually breaks existed for a period of time that was larger than the time it took to collapse. Yeah. So it's almost you know, a bit of up by the stairs, down by the elevator thing. It's like, you know, Enron was a wonderful business generating a whole lot of money until the day it was actually a fraud. Like yeah. it was, there's, there's, there's that kind of, not it was actually a wonderful business, but a wonderful stock, you know. Yeah. Um, so there's also that as well. There's always the first time that, you know, anything times zero is zero. You, you win roulette four times in a row, then, you've, then totally. you don't, it's all gone. So yeah. uh, those those things are both true, I think. And I, I'm, I'm absolutely with you on, on Bitcoin. I, I There is absolutely a scenario in which it becomes a permanent, store of value or exchange or both. Um, maybe it becomes the underlying layer of all financial transactions. Maybe it exists as something off to the side. The range of potential outcomes is, is massive. Yes. And I just, I just don't, I don't, I, I, have a, I have a limited amount of money. There's an opportunity cost. I don't, I don't want to spend the time to, to, you know, go down a rabbit hole that may or may not end up successfully because I've yeah, got another, plenty of other alternative options for my cash. Yep. But I absolutely agree that other people do exactly the reverse, right? I spend no time on mining companies. Other people make a fortune on mining companies. That's cool. Like, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to be the best. You don't have, you have to, to but, but I know you, I know you and that I'm sure if we're still doing this podcast in 10 years time and if it goes in a certain <laughs> direction, I'm sure there'll be yeah. a point where yeah. you're as, you're as on board as anyone because yes. it becomes and, a point where it's silly. It like, usage, not price. Yeah. I mean, it's like the yeah. person who, oh, the Wright brothers are idiots. This thing's never yeah. going to take off. <laughs> That'll you know? never work. Exactly. And they're sitting yeah, in the yeah, nursing yeah, home yeah, 30 yeah. years later with all these yeah. jumbo jets going overhead going, it's ridiculous. It's like, well, you're one of those are going to crash. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just put that, Think about think about what point. does it take because the, the the head in the yeah. sand is just dumb on and any it's, it's it's the same with it's the same with AI if you want to talk about investment yeah. themes or yeah. or lithium or any kind of thing have your view just yes. don't yeah, really be rigid yeah. in your view that's the only thing I, I yes. urge here and I and I as I, you mean yeah. we've done we've been doing this pod for yonks man and I was you were the one who bought Bitcoin back in yeah, 2017 well, and I was the yep. one laughing at you you know and <laughs> it's, you, you've just got to be flexible on these things yeah totally and that, and, and that that description is a really good one man. I'm glad you brought it up because 
your your change of mind is is absolutely evidence of that. Someone who goes from skeptical, you know, you ask me every podcast episode, oh, what's Bitcoin worth now? What's you know, and it was yeah. and it was fun. It was weird. Yeah, it was all, it was always just purely for the theater, um, but it was pure skepticism, right? It was purely this is this is ridiculous. This yeah. is not going to work. To actually, you find out a bit more about it. Okay, now I've actually changed my mind. Yeah, um, that's really rare, and I think that's a really good example for our listeners. Maybe it's on Bitcoin. Maybe it's not. But don't. Don't don't have a closed view of anything. If if there's more information that's presented, you should absolutely be open to it, changing. Your it's mind. you know what, what was it? John Maynard? No, it was yeah. I forget. JP I Morgan. Was Gaines, I saw, well, who basically said, you know, I saw you've changed your mind. He said, well, when the facts change, I change my mind. What do you do, right? Like that's correct. correct. I think that's that's uh, really valuable. Um, the, the, what I will say this, and then we really should end this. But you, it's your fault for bringing up Bitcoin. <laughs> Um, <laughs> no, no, ten dollars for bringing up Bitcoin. I didn't want to ask the bloody question. I'm a, I'm a humble servant of our listeners. So yeah. I was joking to you before. I'm going to a Bitcoin conference. <laughs> Bitcoin Alive, quick plug for a couple of weeks. Oh, if you're interested, come along. Oh, don't. Um, There's going to be better things to do with you. Yeah. <laughs> but I said, my wife said to me, "Is just like this will be the first time where you get to have a conversation about Bitcoin where the other person also wants to talk about Bitcoin <laughs> because normally it's just people very politely suffering through my 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 rant. So I'm I'm very oh. much looking forward." But the point I was going to make was, is that the, the, uh, in the last two or three weeks I've had, because people know what my opinions on it is like, and they've had to endure <laughs> these conversations. I've had more people reach out and going, so how did you say you bought it again? And how did you store it? Like all the questions like, wait a second, what's, well, I was talking about this in November last year. Couldn't, couldn't get your attention on it. What's changed? 70% appreciation in the price has changed. And isn't, isn't that all, whether it's shares or whether it's investment property, whatever it is, it's sort of like, you know, as an investor in certain asset classes, you're very positive about it. And just, you cannot drum up any interest when prices are down. It's that, it's that classic meme of the, meme of the two signs. There's a, there's a stall there. It's just like, you know, uh, complicated but correct answers and there's no one there. And there's the other one saying easy but wrong answers. And the line is a mile correct, long. And the, the, the Bitcoin version of it is Bitcoin at 15,000 US. No, no one's yeah. there. Bitcoin at 30,000 US. The line is a mile <laughs> wrong. And it's sort of like, yeah. this, this is what I was saying to you. Like, watch watch the hash rate, watch the nodes, watch the wallet count, watch the metrics. It's like in terms of is this, are more people using the network? Is security growing? Are there increased transaction velocities? Da, 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 da. It's like, well, it's only moving in one direction. And that was true uh, three months ago. <laughs> and it just, it just you got to buy it for half the price. So anyway, it's an interesting, people will, people will be more, more people will be attracted to it purely because the price comes up and it's sort of the yes, wrong absolutely. reason to get involved. Yeah. Um, but but you it know, actually works in, we're in the favor of the, it, for, again, it's a, such a strange asset slash asset class slash whatever because of that. Normally that would be the world's worst thing, right? Everyone pushing up the price of something just because they're excited about it in any other endeavor is like, that's terrible. Yes. This time around, as you say, the very nature of the price being pushed up it's is different. what gives it so momentum. It's different. Yeah. It, yep. Um, yep. yeah. It, 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 the saying is um, you come for the money, but you stay for the revolution. And I've, I just, I just love that meme because I think it's sort of oh, like, you do come. He's like, oh, here's something cold. I can make money on, and then you go, stay for the car. Oh wow, you know, it's, oh, we're gonna, we're gonna fix the world here. Oh. I think that my, my, my greatest objection, to, my greatest objection to Bitcoin is the people who will be proven right, be completely unsufferable. I would, I would literally agitate against Bitcoin purely to stop people, not so much like you, but like plenty of others, who will never let me stop hearing about it for the rest of my. Damn I was, I, was, I heard someone, oh gosh, we've really got to end this, but I heard someone speaking the other day. It's like, just again, just play, hypotheticals are always fun, but let's say yeah. it gets to a million dollars a coin in some stage. Yeah. The, the, 
billionaires of the world at the moment are all the tech bros, yeah. right? It's the right. Elon Musks and the Jeff Bezos and the Bill Gates and all of these kind of... In, in that future scenario, it's Michael Saylor, who's a CEO of uh, MicroStrategy, the biggest corporate holder. It's people that just really right. aren't household names will right. become the new, which is just going to be... And you're right. It's going to be... Oh, be insufferable. It's going to... You're going to have plenty of people saying, I told you so, and it's going to be... It's going to be funny. <laughs> dear, oh dear. I, uh, there's something funny about getting rich holding a thing that's just a medium of exchange. The whole the whole idea is just blows blows my mind for many different reasons. Yeah, uh, yeah. I am going to finish this podcast, mate. But in, I'm going to finish it with Keynes because he never said what that that, that quote. It, Paul Samuelson, funnily enough, attributed it to Keynes, ah. which is amazing because Samuelson himself was a. You mean when a, the a facts change, I change my mind. I change my mind. Yeah. Okay. But so, so Samuelson said it on Meet the Press in the US and and credit it to Keynes. Okay. So indirectly. But here's the only here's the only line that what I like about this is the actual quote is actually even better when it comes to investors. Because here's the quote from a 1924, I think it was, uh, piece of writing. The inactive investor who takes up an obstinate attitude about his holdings and refuses to change his opinion merely because the facts and circumstances have changed is the one who in the long run comes to grievous loss. Oh, that is excellent. Which in our purpose is, isn't it? Like, it's not as pithy. But from, from an investment perspective, like the, the Samuelson version is a lovely, pithy, you know, TV version. Yep. Uh, now, this is now Keynes is talking about here having, having something and not selling it after things go bad. Yep. Uh, so, you know, taking a, taking a kind of a risk aversion model here, but it works in both, both directions. Okay, so I, just because I looked it up, I thought it was worth sharing. Well, here's a classic example Buffett, right? The famed yep. um, uh, anti technologist, you know, just yes. the ages avoided all technology. You know, for a while now, Berkshire's biggest holding has been Apple. Right, and so here yeah. you have an octogenarian uh, who grew up in a completely different world, who's famous for not investing in tech. In this current day, in in at this point in time, whose biggest investment is a technology company, mm. and I'm, it's not to say what the, the point of that observation is is that well, that kind of what makes him one of the best investors the world has ever seen is that Correct. is that flexibility of thinking. Having gone from I don't invest in it because I don't get it to oh, I get it. And now I'm investing yeah, in it. Now you know? some. Exactly. And that's that's just a, yep. just another wonderful characteristic about the man. Simply full on. Cheers. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.